Genesis chapter 16, and we're just going to read these verses again tonight. Verse 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and give her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Of course, she wasn't really his wife, and we know that, and you'll see that later on. Verse 4, we're at Genesis chapter 16 and verse 4. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into the bosom, into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes, and the Lord judged between me and thee. But Abraham said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand to do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly, and we We'll mention that word again. That's a very strong word. When Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. I noticed in that that she never answered the second question. Do you notice that? She answered the first one and she said, I flee from the face of my mistress. But she didn't say where she was going. Was she so confused that she didn't know? Do you know where you're going tonight? And if you don't, you may be very, very clear. Do you know what the Lord has for you tonight? Do you know where you're going in the will of the Lord tonight? You need to know. And the angel of the Lord, in verse 9, said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. Boys, that was some order. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. There's a powerful promise. God gives promises to us. The angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child. 
He doesn't need any scans to know what's going on in the womb. Behold, thou art with child, and thou shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. I wonder what he heard. It doesn't say he saw her affliction. And he will be a wild man, and we know that to our cost today. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her. Now notice the Lord spake to her first. And if he wouldn't have spoke to you and I first, we'd be damned. She called unto the name of the Lord that spake unto her. Thou, God, seest me. For she said, I have also, she said, have I also looked upon him that seeth me. He saw her first. Don't miss these wee words in Scripture. They're very, very important. He spoke first and he saw her first. And it's nothing to do with us. Wherefore the well was called Be'er Behold, it is between Kadesh and Berid. And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. And we know that the Lord has promised to bless the public reading of his word. I was thinking yesterday that if Hagar, the Egyptian slave girl, was around today in modern society, she would make a fortune. If she wrote a book, it would be certainly the bestseller. If she went alive on YouTube or Facebook or WhatsApp or whatever other gadgets there is, She'd have a million hits. Prime time, Pierce Morgan, Nolan would all have her in the studios, in her in their studios. What would be the pull? What would be the pinnacle and the highlight of their story? What would the main motive for them be to Get this woman's testimony out, out abroad. What would the punchline be? Well, I could imagine what it would be. A young girl trafficked from a foreign land. A young girl, a chattel, a slave. Sexually, mentally, physically and verbally abused. And if you were here last week, and you'll see again tonight that that is not an exaggeration when you take all these words together, what happened to this young girl. What a crack at the domination she would belong to, they would have. 
What a scandal amongst the whole Christian community that stood for truth would they not have? Happening in a Christian believer's home. Made pregnant by a man who was the father of the faithful friend of God and one of the great patriarchal men. Oh, that's fact. Whose wife, Sarah, was not only complicit, but instigated it. And she had to flee from the home because of abuse that you'll see. That word hardly is a very strong word. Fleeing out into the wilderness, and I tried to trace it on the map. She could have went 80 miles and more. To the waste, howling wilderness. And the angel found her in Shur. And to get there, if you study the map, she had to go down around the coast of the Sinai. She had to come back over the Jordan. And it was an awful, awful track. It's not a bit of wonder she would have been confused. Pregnant, running away. Now I want you to see this very carefully again tonight for those who were not here last week. In order to establish that she was pregnant, and we must nail this down because it was the Lord that said this. In order that she established that she was pregnant, the Holy Spirit has in that she's conceived that she had conceived three times in two verses, verses four and five. Twice in verse four and again in verse five. So there's no twisting out of this. No smart lawyer can get a hold of this. This is the word of God. In order to make sure that this is Hagar, her name is mentioned seven times. And six times in other scriptures, 13 altogether. If every young single mother was found in a deep, dark valley, and that's what our studies are this present time, victories in the valleys. But if ever there was a young teen, a young girl, not much out of her teens, found in a deep dark valley of rejection, loneliness and despair and betrayal, we have her here. And that's why the press would want her. Now before we see this valley crisis turning into an amazing victory, an unprecedented, miraculous victory. If ever there's a manifestation of the love of God, we have it in this chapter. For instance, before I, before I show you a thing or two regarding why this came about, there's three verses in succession that appears to say that it was a pre-incarnate Son of God, the angel of the Lord, visitor. 
You have it in verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11. The Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate form, they call it Christology, call it what you like, this is the fact right through the Old Testament, just as the Lord moved about in the New Testament in his incarnate form, in, in flesh and blood, he moved about in the Old Testament in his pre-incarnate form, and we have many of them. And we'll be dealing with some as time goes on. The Lord Jesus Christ coming to a poor, lost, perishing sinner. That's how we're going to close up tonight. But before this, let me show you how Abram and Sarah got themselves into this mess. And it was a mess, and it's still a mess tonight as a result. Must have been a laughingstock to the Gentile pagan world around them. Let me tell you how it started. And from this, we can learn lessons And we must learn these lessons as believers. It started with backsliding. God in Hosea says, my people are bent to backslide from me. Turn back to chapter 12, please. In verse 1. Here we have the call of Abraham. Verse 1, chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country. Now notice again how the Holy Spirit so graphically calls this man. First of all, out of thy country. That was Mesopotamia the year of the Chaldees, present Persian Gulf, or the banks of the Euphrates, you can call it what you like, but that's where it was. Now the Lord had said unto him, get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, that was his relatives, and all the people belonging to them, and they were mixed up all through one another. Get out from the country and get out from the kingdom and from thy father's house. That's his relatives. That's his near friends. I just want to show you for a wee moment where he called them out of the Ur of the Chaldees, if you read the other scriptures. That's where this best, that's where he was. That's where God found him and called him. The Ur of the Chaldees. The Ur, Ur in Hebrew means destruction and Chaldees mean flame. What a me- an evangelical message we have there on his own. And thank God tonight he called us out of destruction and out of flames of hell where we would be without him. So there's a powerful evangelical trust in this, but we haven't time to go into tonight. He moves in closer every time. From the country to the kindred and to the people. 
There's no backing out of this. You see, when God calls a man, he calls him well. There's a whole people out there tonight, and I'm telling you, they talk about the call of God, and I would doubt if some of them have the call of God at all. When God calls a man, he leaves no room for excuse. There's a step-by-step here. No going back. No going back. He called them out. Of course, he didn't go alone, and Isaiah said he called them alone, but we're not going down into that tonight. He took Terah with him, his father, and he took Lot with him, and he ended up in great trouble. There was no disputing about the calling, and there was no disputing about where he was called to. He's journeying on to the south. In verse 9, God called him to the land of Cain. There's no doubt. Verse 9, and Abram journeyed going toward the south. But then look at verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn, not to dwell. Oh, I'm not going to stay. I'm just going down to this famine's over. He had no, he had no intentions to dwell, stay in. And he was going down, but he wasn't going back. But he should never have went down, and that's where the trouble was. And Abram went down into Egypt to show them, for the famine was grievous in the land. Woe to them that go down into Egypt for help. This is where the move, this is where the wrong move starts. And you will notice that all the time down in Egypt, and I'm trying to find out how long it was, and I can't find out how long it was, but it was a right while. All the time that he was down in Egypt, there was no altar, no prayer, no sacrifice, no God. Look at verse 7 and verse verse 7 of chapter 12. He had an altar there. Look at verse 8. He had an altar there. But the next time you read of an altar is in chapter 13 and verse 4. When he came up out of Egypt, he had the altar there. And in the end of, of of chapter 13 and verse 18, he had an altar there. But he had no altar down there. Have you an altar? Have you a family altar where you gather your family round? I wonder how many of God's people are at the altar. James Dobson, the mighty, well, to say a mighty but he's one of the most influential Christian counselors in America, said that he never once had to counsel a couple for marriage problems that had a family altar every day. And although he came back out of Egypt with the lion and all that went on down in Egypt, and we needn't go into that tonight, and although he came back up out of, out of Egypt, the damage was done with what he brought out of Egypt, for he brought this woman Hagar out of it. The damage was done 
when he went back to the altar again. You can't undo what we do by trying to cover it over with prayer. The repercussions, there's repercussions always from backsliding. You see, look at verse 2 of chapter 13. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. He brought more than Hagar back with him. He not only was rich, but he was very rich. That's the first mention of riches you have in the scriptures. He was very rich. Now we know that Lot and him, herdsmen, went into a feud. This is all coming from backsliding. Riches is a damnable thing, you know, when they separate families. Damnable thing. Land and cattle and right away have damned and destroyed more homes than anything nearly. Made the barristers wealthy and drove wedges into generations of family, high Christian families that never healed. I'm not talking as a novice, I'm talking about somebody with many years experience. And then there was the feud. Look at verses 6 and 7. This all, this all came about because of his backsliding. And the land was not able to bear them. They had that much stuff they had with them that they might dwell together. For their substance was so great that they could not dwell together. And then there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt in the land. And of course the Holy Spirit has that in to say there were watching on. What would that be in there for anything else? What were they watching? They were watching strife between God's people. A laughing stock. When Abraham came up with a solution and got locked out and got down, and you know the story, and that's not our business tonight. But this all came because of moving out of the will of God. God didn't tell him to go out. He tested him. You know God drops a word. He'll drop a promise to us. I told you that the other night. God will drop a promise to his people and he'll withdraw. And he'll withdraw to see how you cope in a trial, in a situation, in something in your family, in something in your health. He'll stand back to test you. And this was the first test of Abraham as he journeyed in the will of God from his homeland. This was the first test of him, this grievous famine that hit the land. He fled. Turn to chapter 15 and verse 1. I'll give you another example. Then Lot got into trouble, of course. And Abram had to get 318 men trained in his house to go and rescue him for 
four kings or nine kings, between four and nine kings, or four kings anyway, that he had to go in and take, rescue Lot back and bring him back again. You know the story. We're not after that tonight, but after that was done, after he had conquered and brought him back, you know the story there. And here's in verse 15 you have this. After these things, the word of the Lord came on to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abraham. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Isn't the Lord gracious? Isn't he merciful? Isn't he loving? Isn't he, he didn't chastise him. Didn't harangue him. Like I'm after haranguing him there for the last 10 minutes. But he was afraid. What was he afraid of? Well, he had just conquered and driven back four the kings of Sodom. And I'm sure that when he had the victory won and he sat down, as often it does, you know, when we get victories for the Lord, the old devil can come. And I think a fear gripped Abraham. Without that, the Lord wouldn't have told him to fear not if he wasn't afraid. Fear not that these kings were going to come after him. Of course, the Sodomites know how to come after you. (laughs) And the Lord just come to him and he says, fear not, Abraham. This fear, this, the point I'm trying to make, all this was a step-by-step cause of backsliding. When we move out of the will and the call and the way of God, there's a price to pay. Not only have we to pay the price ourselves, but our families have to pay the price of backsliding. Children. The repercussions here went right through. Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Isaac, all suffered because of this. And we are still suffering today because of it. Because of the Muslims and all that came from this ungodly union. Islam, Al-Kabab, all the rest of them, every one of them, all the haters of Israel. All Ishmaelites. David, when he sinned, David, when he failed, David, when he went down and badly down, doesn't, just, just don't, doesn't come up over it and get over it with a wee prayer, you know. He had to go, you read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, but that's not the point. The point is this there was damage done. And that damage went right through his whole life and right through his whole family. Remember Jonah? Jonah fled from the will, the call and the will of God. Very clear to Jonah. But Jonah fled down into Joppa, and then, but he didn't only affect himself. You think of all the things, all the people that was affected because of Jonah. Well, they had to throw out the, the, whatever they had on the ship, they had to throw it all off. They say they were bringing a mighty load of grain down to Tarshish. 
all that all the people that were getting that grain lost it. What about the other little ships that were all out in the Mediterranean that day? They were hit with the storm. You think of all the people that were hit because of that. The tackling of the ship had to be thrown out. Because of one man's disobedience. And it goes on and on and on. May God help us to keep on pad with the Lord. May we keep the altar and may we keep short accounts and may we keep praying. You know, the hardest thing that I had to do in, in my ministry, I had to do hard things in my last profession, let me tell you. But the hardest thing that I had to do in, in my ministry was to go with a servant of God, not from this county, man greatly used of God to go to him to to his wife and to tell his wife that he had an affair. Tell you, break your heart. Break your heart. Broke mine. Hagar and Ishmael Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac, Abram, Sarah were all affected by this. All of them. The old uncle that led me to the Lord and from Manna used to say to me, Bertie, salvation is big business. I tell you, sin is big business too. Even and the Muslim, even he confessed and repented, and it still leaves scars for generations to come. For the devil has a way of bringing things back to our mind. That's why we should rejoice tonight. That's why we should praise God tonight for His mercy, His forgiveness, and His love. He restores the backslider. He forgives the sinner. He gives mercy and victory over the flesh. He sustains us in our families. He takes away our fears. Oh, love of God. How rich, so free. Now, in spite of Abraham and Sarah's wrongdoing and what went on, God's covenant promise never changed. <laughs> his promise for Isaac never changed. Promise for the land and his inheritance never changed. He healed the backslider, he forgave their sins, and he used them mightily to fulfill his promise. Now this whole story changes in verse 7. And this is the lovely part of the story. Just you set your eyes on it now as we come to a close tonight. Do we see how she come up out of this valley? And whatever valley you're down in tonight, tell you there's a way back out. There's one who loves and one who sees and one who forgives.
verse 7, and the angel of the Lord found her. Oh boy, I could stop there. She didn't find him. I hear people saying, I found the Lord. Well, the Lord was never lost. <laughs> he found her. Where? By a fountain. And in verse 14, by a well. So there's a well of water and a fountain of water. Now, a well is no good, you know, if it hasn't a spring in it. And even if it has a spring, it mightn't be enough to supply it. But this is a well with a fountain. Now, we wouldn't have time tonight, and I wouldn't have to tell this congregation tonight, that the water speaks of the Word of God and speaks of the Holy Spirit. And here he found, he found her by a fountain of water. My friend, let me say to you tonight, the well's deep. It's a deep well. There is a fountain filled with blood flowing from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The well is deep tonight and the woman in John 4 found that out too. He found another woman at the well, you know. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness now watch the Holy Spirit, the fountain again, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And if you get a map, you'll see it's a barren, barren, waste howling wilderness. That's where he found her. That's where he found her. And why was she there? Verse 6. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. That word hardly is browbeat, humiliated, shouted at physically. Physically, mentally, vocally abused. And John Philip says this, just before the gates of Egypt shut on her and her child, and she perished amongst the pagan gods, Jesus came. <laughs> she was nearly back over, you know. And she was nearly back over. You get them up, do you see? But the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, lay was on her all the way. And he found her. When Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. When Jesus comes, the night is turned to day. He takes the gloom and fills the soul with glory. For all is changed when Jesus comes to stay. Boy, he knows when to move. 
Oh, what love, twas wondrous love, the love of God to me. Well, might we sing, I found a friend in Jesus. She would sing that, would she not? The whole message of the evangel of the cross is epitomized in these verses. It's staring at us here. You know, there were three reasons why the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, and three reasons only. There are a hundred reasons at Christmas now. He says, I have come to do the Father's will. That was the first thing. Secondly, John says he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And he has done that and he's going to finish that job. But number three, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. (laughs) He came to seek and to save that which was lost. I was lost, but Jesus found me. Found the sheep that went astray. If you want any confirmation or any backing up for that, just go to the parable in Luke chapter 15. Six times you have the word lost and five times you have the word found. The lost silver, the lost sheep, and the lost son. All lost and found. Or as John G. Butler put it, the lost looker and the lost lamb and the lost lad. J.C. Ryle, that mighty bishop of a past day of Liverpool, says there are a few scriptures that have been used more to save the souls of men than Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, in the parable of the sun and the silver. Apart from John 3 and 16. That's saying something. Aye, he found, he found them that sought him not. He found her before she called or before she saw. And let me say this, this is the first theophany in the Scriptures. This is the first appearance of the pre-incarnate Son of God appearing to anyone. And it wasn't to Abraham, it's chapter 18, when Abraham had the experience. And it's not to Elijah, and it's not to Joshua, and it's not to Gideon, and it's not to Isaiah. Oh, this thrills my soul. As to a poor, lost, perishing idolater, single mother, abused, fearful, wandering in the darkness, betrayed. I, friend, let me tell you, as I come to a close tonight, you will find no comparison, no extreme, no resemblance. No distance, no depth, no diversity. No greater than the creator, the sustainer and the upholder, the eternal son of God who is daily his delight. In the beginning was the word and the word was God, the eternal God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of all things of heaven. You'll get no greater distance or no greater no, no greater depth to come from there to this old barren wilderness of Shur.
Oh, yes, there is one. There is greater. There is greater. The one that came from heaven, glory. To the, wee, to the womb of the virgin. To the matrix of a servant girl. The mighty creator God constructed to his span, incomprehensibly made man. The most high made nigh. In the form of a baby, the span's length. By a well might we sing the love of God. Depth of mercy, append these words from the hymn book today. Depth of mercy can there be? Mercy still reserved for me. Can my God his wrath forbear me, the chief of sinners spare? Whence to me this waste of love? Ask my advocate above, see the love in Jesus' face. Now before the throne of grace. If that doesn't humble us, perishing lost sinners saved by the grace of God, if that doesn't humble us and break and draw us out in praise and in prayer tonight in this prayer meeting, there's something terribly wrong spiritually. I was thinking about this today and even talking to my dear, we were talking together, Pat and I, this morning. We were at the border, you know. We were crossing the border into the waste, howling spiritual wilderness of Donegal. The gates of hell were about to close after us when he came. He came. Glory to God, he came to Bundhorn. Who would have ever thought of it? The only meeting, evangelical meeting ever held in Bundhorn was when these dear IAB people held a conference for three nights every year. All the other months and all the other weeks of the year, just three nights, Whitson Convention, three nights. We went down on the Tuesday night, they wouldn't have been there. We went down on the Thursday night or the Friday night, they wouldn't have been there. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Jesus came and found us. Where did he find her? Where did she meet her? By the well. Paul in Ephesians says that he might sanctify us with the wash and cleanse us with the washing of water by his word. We heard the word of God that night. He knew her name. Look at it as we close. He knew her name. And he said, Hagar, and he knew where she did, what she worked at. He knew she, she was Sarah's maid. Not, not, not Abram's wife now. And he doesn't send her back to Abram. He sends her back to the mistress. Not twist about here with marriage and divorce or anything you like. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. Whence comest thou? And where wilt thou go? 
Well, he knew where she was coming. And she knew where he was, he knew where she was going. He said to Adam, do you remember Adam? Where art thou? Did he not know where Adam was? No, no, he wanted to throw Adam out. He wanted Adam to say where he was. And he needs, the people of God need, he says, where are you now? Where are you along the road of life tonight? Where are you in relation to these things? Where art thou? Tell me. Speak for yourself. Do you think when the teacher comes into the schoolroom and she puts up on the board and she draws a map of Ireland and she says to the, to, to, to the students, you come on, tell me where Armagh is. Do you, do you think she doesn't know where Armagh is? Of course she does. She wants to see, do they know? We need to realise where we are. Hagar says, Med, verse 8, whence comest thou and where thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, now watch this, return. Return. He didn't say to her, now would you like to go back? Or would you like to stay here maybe? No, no, the word was go back. Return, repent, go back. Tell me, were there something, someone here tonight or listening to me somewhere need to go back? Maybe back to your boss. Maybe back to your home. Maybe back to your marriage. Hmm? He said, return. Return. And submit. That's what it means. Return to your mistress and submit, verse 9, into her hand. But you don't know what she done on me. Oh, he knew all of it. You don't know what they said about me. I'm not going back. All right, then don't. She had a choice, you know, even here. Go back to Hebron. Go back to the tent. Go back to where you come. Go back to your mistress. It's not easy. I tell you, it's not easy going back. Go back. Listen, friend, tonight. Go back not with revenge. but in submission. Ah, that's when the old man rises up. She never raised one voice in defense. 
She just went back. It must have been very hard. And it is. To do the will of God is hard. She never pleaded her case of cruelty, of abuse, of anything else. I'm not going to let them away with that. I will expose them. I will claim. That's all you hear today. Do you know why she submitted and went back voluntarily? She had seen the face of the Lord. That's what she said. I have seen his face and he has saw me. Oh, friends, I tell you, we get a weed limps. Weed limps. She saw him. Ah, but she says, and he has saw me. I've had an encounter with the Lord. Should have went anywhere. I tell you, should have went anywhere. And we get in close touch with our Lord and our Savior. I'm dwelling upon 1 Corinthians 13 these days. I've neglected that chapter over my years. Oh, that love chapter. We need to get a love for one another. We need to get a love. We need to go back and say sorry. If it, say sorry, even you mean it. To, e, e, say sorry, even you're to blame or not. See, we're going to we're praying now for revival, and we've been praying here thirty-four years for revival. I came here with three messages. I came here with the message of the gospel. I come here with the message of filling of the Holy Ghost. Four messages. I come here with I come here with the pre-millennial return of Jesus Christ at any moment and revival. And I'm more convinced this night than ever when I came here in 1988 that we don't have a Holy Ghost revival. We're done. We're done. And preach all you like and have all the missions you like and have all the tents you like and keep on doing it. That's evangelism and that's good, but that will not cure the situation in our land. Because God can do in one, more in one minute than he can do in a hundred years when the Holy Ghost begins to move. And if the Holy Ghost is restricted, he'll not move. And the Holy Ghost can be restricted if we don't go back. If we don't get a love for our brethren and a love for our sisters and a love for those that wronged us and a love for those that harmed us and let all those things go, he has promised to bless and take us out of the valley and lift us up into blessing. And she went back and she had to stay there for another 14 years and then you know the story again after that. But she went back. May God help us. Let us pray. O God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for 
the truth of God's word. I only wish, Lord, that we could make it more clear and more powerful and more authoritative. But, oh God, it's your word. And we thank you, Lord, Lord, for reaching down to sinners such as me. I just thank you tonight. Lord, it wasn't to the big men around in the skill you came. Great men. Rich men. Decent men. With the two sinners on their way to heaven. I never understood it. All I say, Lord, tonight publicly, thank you for finding me in the wilderness. And I'm sure, Lord, that every heart that's redeemed and saved here tonight is just saying the same thing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for lifting us. Thank you for delivering us when we have sinned and failed and made a fool of ourselves. Lord, you loved us. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah.